This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome along. I can't do my Benjamin Bloom intro or my Blue Monday intro because we're in Simpsons Futurama, two worlds colliding here because this is a championship story and an Ipswich Town story. So this is going to go down both feeds. And I'm very, very pleased to um, introduce onto the channel Gregor McGregor from the Bristol Post, um, who is far better placed to talk about the movement of Mark Ashton at the end of the season than I am. Gregor, um, welcome. Thank you very much for coming on and talking to us. No problem at all, Ben. Thanks for having me. No, busy day for you. So can you tell me the timeline? Because Mark Ashton's name has been mentioned in dispatches ever since the Ipswich takeover broke, which was about six weeks ago before it stalled and it's all happened now. And then we've been having wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we can't name the COO for the last few days. Can you just run me through the timeline um, from your point of view, from the Bristol City side, as to when this was breaking up until uh, your actual story today confirming it? Yeah, sure. I mean, obviously, kudos to uh, Matt Slater of The Athletic, who who I think broke the story originally and um, I have to say, we, we'd heard a few rumours and whispers and a few things and nothing really we could stand up, to be honest. But but there were some rumours that were also on the Bristol City fans forum, one team in Bristol, and I think maybe over the Ipswich town end as well. And you might be better placed than myself, obviously, to know about that. So for us, yeah, once obviously it came out in The Athletic, then we followed it up and checked it with our sources and it obviously tallied a little bit with some other things we'd heard and yeah it's something that obviously we took to the club and and have asked them if they wanted to make a comment about etc etc and haven't really wanted to do that along the way but but we have learned ourselves that that basically there was an interest from the Ipswich end and and we were of the belief that basically that something might happen at the end of the season rather than partway through and yeah, over over the course of the last couple of weeks, things have picked up a bit of pace. Obviously, the Ipswich Town takeover has gone through. As you said there, they they named it. Well, they said they wanted to bring in a UK-based CEO. I, I, I follow some of the other journalists at the Ipswich end and yourself as well. And um, obviously, I've seen them 
reporting the same sort of stuff as well. So uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's all just sort of come together as in the last few days and picked up pace. And yeah, we're, there were so many rumours last night that this was going to break today. And and uh, yeah, it's all been finally made official. So you can check out um, Gregor's stuff on um, Bristol Live. Um, that's his story from today. Um, you were very in the know, weren't you? Because there was something nice and ready to go from you this morning as well, which we've has been shared in a few um, WhatsApp groups that I was in as well. So um, that's what you've gone with um, at uh, just 2.45. So uh, we've got you right after this. Um, and just quickly, how is this going to work for the rest of the season? Because I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't like to be going into work knowing that I was going somewhere else. Um, is is this going to be some kind of odd handover? Because we know football is all about preparation for next season. And Nigel Pearson is there at Bristol City on a short-term contract, which hasn't quite been followed through. This, this doesn't feel from a Bristol City point of view, like um, the most desirable situation for the last, um, well, essentially the next six weeks, basically. Yeah, it's a big question we've got about the timing here, actually. And for all this to come out now, why not delay it to the end of the end of the season or, or do it right early on? So um, I guess, obviously, it depended on when the takeover went through, etc. And yeah, it, 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 you're right. It's, it's very awkward because, especially if you guys were to to make a late run and, and get up and, and promoted, and then essentially we're sending the CEO from over here over to you. And the club has has already said many times they're working on things for next season. At the moment, they've got uh, well, it's, it's well, it's quite public that we've got some 14 players out of contract this summer. There haven't been too many contract negotiations going over. Here going on over here. That's um, something that's to come. There are moves in the transfer market being made. I know, I know the club hasn't uh, made any any concrete moves just yet, but they are assessing targets and things like that. And it, obviously, we all know you, you need to um, have your short list of men that you want to bring in. So that's all taking place at the moment. Nigel Pearson is on record as uh, explaining that he's part of all that process over here. And Mark Ashton, Mark Ashton oversees all of that and he's central to everything. So you're absolutely right. It's, it, it is a little bit awkward. Obviously, it doesn't seem like he's going to be put on gardening leave. So there is a lot of trust over this side. And, and maybe maybe that is fundamental because he's, he's obviously been given a lot of power, really, by the owning Lansdowne family over at Bristol City. And I'm sure we'll come on to that. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see how it pans out, I guess, over the, the final three, four weeks of the season. Mm, it does seem to be some strange conflicts of interest. And we know that even though deals are announced on July the 1st, we know that they're done before then. And um, Bristol City are somewhat on the beach already, um, neither going up nor going down in the championship. So, And he's going to be carrying an awful lot of knowledge of one club straight into... Another does feel odd. Um, I suppose the obvious question, and this is more down the Ipswich end, is could you tell Ipswich supporters who is Mark Ashton? When did he arrive? And what what did he do? What was his role at Bristol City? Well, he arrived in an official capacity in January 2016. And the context, I think, is, is a lot here. 
He arrives in just literally days after Steve Cottrell was sacked. Um, but he had been at the club um, previously doing consultancy work. He, he had a company called um, Tactical Change uh, and they helped out on the recruitment front. They also helped out in some some other ways behind the scenes with the Lansdowne family, putting in the apparatus behind the club to, to improve their recruitment. And, and he's, yeah, he's coming to the, the club officially on, as I say, January 2016 as um, the chief operating officer originally. And he was then promoted to uh, chief executive officer, I believe a year later, I think it's July 2017. And that's the position he's been in uh, for the last four years. It's So he's been officially with the club five years. And yeah, in, in that time, obviously a lot, a lot has happened and the, the club has chiefly stabilised, I guess, in the championship for the main part. I'm just going to, Gregor, just for Ipswich fans, I'm just going to put up the league finishes there. So you can see promoted in 14-15 under Steve Cottrell and then 18th championship, 17th, 11th, 8th and 12th, mainly under Lee Johnson, which from what you're saying, the timing, they pretty much come come together. And then latterly Dean Holden, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, and um, now... Nigel Pearson. Sorry, um, Greg, I just wanted to um, put that up for the um, put that for the Ipswich fans. Um, do, do you want to just um, keep rolling from there? Yeah, you're spot on, Ben, and they, they almost appear as a, a double act for, for Bristol City. And yeah, looking at the final league positions there, you can see that they've had pretty much three or four years of, of progress. And it, it sort of fell apart a little bit last last year. And obviously, we've also had the pandemic come in then as well, unfortunately. And yeah, that last year was the final, well, the first year that they sort of started going back down the league. And then with Dean Holden coming in this year, and for a number of reasons, they have regressed and, and gone backwards in the championship. Whereas before, the narrative was all about them year on year, climbing up the leagues, getting towards which is um, their self-avowed aim to make it to the Premier League. And yeah, what we can't ignore from over the west side of the country is that there's been so much rejoicing from Bristol City fans, and I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure we're going to come on to this. It struck it struck me as a bit like um, the end of the Return of the Jedi, almost when the, the Death Star blows up, and you've got all the the rejoicing on the all, all the planets and everything, Ewoks dancing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's been a little bit like that on my timeline today, but I, I do feel that some of the city supporters don't. Um, fully appreciate a lot of the work he's done because a lot of that stuff has been behind the scenes and it's been yeah the the infrastructure of the club that essentially hasn't really had a tangible effect on the grass um it, it's things like the the stadium coming together the it's beautiful the, now, isn't it? yeah yeah it always, i think it's one of the best in the championship i'm obviously biased but but i really do think it's up there comparable with with many many stadiums and they've also got, I don't know if you guys know, but they've got really big plans to expand that whole area there. It's, they're calling it a sports quarter. They're building um, an arena for the Bristol Flyers, uh, the basketball team, and uh, they're further expanding Ashton Gate. So it's a, it's going to be a £100 million development they work on over the years ahead. As well, you might have seen recently as well, the big thing was they, they've moved into their new uh, first team training ground, which they've rebranded the the Robbins High Performance Centre, and, and and 
it's that corporate sort of terminology that Mark Ashton <laughs> is sort of um, closely tied in with, but it really grinds with on with some uh, some football supporters, and, and that's part of the crux, I think, about Mark Ashton. Interesting, very very interesting. Um, so, what is his legacy there? Because, um, and I mean, this kind of parlays in a bit um, with his role, because I dare say we're starting to see a couple of similarities with um, with Ipswich, essentially. I know Bristol is obviously uh, possibly more viable, um, big location in terms of demographic for, for growth long-term, but this idea of a wealthy owner at a championship club who are just kind of struggling to go against the parachute teams and get into the, get into the playoffs and the fans perhaps expecting and I don't know it feels a little bit like you would have got a lot of Ipswich fans as McCarthy went out of Ipswich I'm I'm feeling some parallels here even though the jobs were were very different what what is his legacy because we we can go on to some questions which will um, perhaps frame the mood that you were (laughs) you were suggesting earlier what what is his legacy and before you answer Greg let me just quickly put up that is Bristol City's record sales. Um, and literally, most of the top 10 have all been under Ashton's watch. Obviously, Adam Webster will be hugely familiar to Ipswich fans. Turned around Lloyd Kelly through the um, uh, through the youth um, sort of setup. And Codger, Reed, Brownhill, Flint, Brian, and um, Tomlin. And then, you, then you're going back. But it's kind of interesting that you're going back. See... Andy Cole down there as, as well. That um, as from what I could see, we were going Brentford with a Masters of Recruitment in the Championship, and then it was Bristol City, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I mean, on the recruitment, that's something the fans really hold against him, and I think it's a little bit unfair this way. And I'll explain that. I mean, yeah, without doubt, he's brought in some astronomical fees for players adam webster was sold for a club record i think they in the space of sort of 12 months that we had three or four club record sales and it hasn't been all about the sales either we've we've spent a lot of money over this way on 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 players coming in and there have been without doubt hits and misses um i think this season is coloring a lot of bristol city fans opinions and the club really has not done well this bit i mean you have to factor in that when dean holden came in he won his first four league games and they were top of the table straight away and it's been a slow descent ever since and the problem has been that over the last two or three seasons in every second half of the season the club has fallen away so it's become really frustrating for the fans and also when you then factor in that it's been four or five years of hearing the the same thing and the football has got a bit worse on the pitch this season I I do understand it from Bristol City supporters point of view that that, that it hasn't gone particularly well of late but I do think there are various um, things that Mark Ashton can 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 take a lot of credit for the sales yes absolutely he negotiated pretty much all those deals that you were mentioning there and got a tremendous fee for Adam Webster I mean they they had Much a lot to of the frustration of many Ipswich yeah. fans. <laughs> yeah, well, they—I mean—they had a lot of interest from Aston Villa originally in him that in that summer, and 
they turned down some some really huge bids from Villa, and it wasn't until very late in the window they sold him for for a mega fee. But but then they actually replaced him really with with Ashley Williams on a free free transfer. They it wasn't until the following summer when they brought in uh, Alfie Mawson uh, really uh, as a really quality replacement. And the problem has been that Alfie Mawson has been injured for so much of this season. So uh, we're, we're, I'm, yeah, I'm sure we'll speak more about the injuries in, in a bit. But yeah, in, in terms of the recruitment, it, it's a little bit of a difficult one because Mark Ashton has always been very, very clear that the manager has always had the final say on transfers. He's made that abundantly clear. We've asked him so many times ourselves in interviews and, and he's always uh, relaying, he'll, he'll say it to you guys, that the final decision is always made by um, the manager or head coach. Um, but he sits essentially in a, in a central position with everything happening at the club around him. He's responsible for the day-to-day -day running and, and everybody reports into him, the media team, the medical team. Uh, he's responsible for the scouts, uh, the, his recruitment, recruitment team that he set up there as well. And it's believed that he basically provides the targets for a manager or head coach to then choose from. So that's part of it. And when Lee Johnson was in charge, he explained, however, that if he wanted to, he could bring his own targets to the table. So it wasn't exclusively you've got to choose from these targets. It was here's what we recommend. And if Lee Johnson wanted to, he could say, well, what about this guy? And they say, OK, yeah, fair enough. But it was a case of that Lee Johnson didn't have the time to do all that recruitment himself. So he wanted to basically farm it out elsewhere. And, and that's where Mark Ashton and his recruitment team came in. And uh, and yeah, basically, he has to take some of, well, he has to take some of the flack, I suppose, for, for some of the transfers not working out. But ultimately, it was always a case of that anybody coming in did so on the on the yay or nay of Lee Johnson, and um, mostly or later on Dean Oldham. In terms of what he leaves off the pitch and on the pitch when he goes, okay, there doesn't appear to be a. Adam Webster or a Lloyd Kelly. But the goalkeeper Bentley's very good, isn't he? Thomas Callas is uh, high-end championship centre-half. Backinson and Semenyo are good young players there. There are saleable assets. It seems like Masengo's a bit of a bust so far, which was one of the um, expensive ones. And then there's sort of Wells, um, Chris Martin, who are good. So essentially, if I'm, my glass is very half full, the infrastructure's better. The club are further up the table, and although they don't necessarily have the the giant Webster sale or Lloyd Kelly sale, it's a decent enough squad there for Pearson to work with. Um, am I being too optimistic to say he's, he's leaving the next guy something good to take forward? No, I, I don't think you are. A lot of fans will argue with you and say you are, but I, I don't I don't agree with a, a lot of their their assessments. Maybe it's. I'm just seeing some of the louder ones on social media. But yeah, right. it, it, you're not wrong with those players you mentioned there. I'd, I'd actually argue with you that Hanno Masengo, is, he's, he's been Bristol City's best player the last few he's weeks. He's no age as well, is he? Yeah, he's 19 years old. Yeah. Incredible. And yeah, I, I've got no doubt that they if they sold him this summer, I don't think they're going to, but if they did want to, then they would get a yeah an eight-figure sum for him. Okay, I'm sure. I stand corrected. And, and on Antoine Semenyo, we've reported or... Already, I actually spoke to his agent, got a quote from his agent on 
there'd be an interest in Antoine Semenyo and um, that's from the Premier League. If they wanted to sell him, then they again, they'd get a very, very high figure. There's already been some talk around sort of um, £10 million or so. So I'd, I'd completely disagree with Bristol City fans who say that he's leaving nothing in this squad. There's a lot there. Um, the prob- main problem has been, and and this is maybe a, an area that I have concerns with, with Mark Ashton this season, has been the injuries. Because the injuries have absolutely decimated the squad this year. I have to preface that by saying I don't think we had too many problems last year, actually, on the injury front. But we estimate there's been around sort of 30 or so injuries, which is a phenomenal amount. The two, two well, some of the big ones have been Liam Walsh and Joe Williams, um, two midfielders who basically were out for six or seven months each, came back and then relapsed uh, injury and, and are now out for the season. We haven't seen them. 90 minutes uh, both of them this season at all so yeah that for me is the highest amount in the championship I saw um, I think the Athletic reporting all all the Premier League injuries the other day and uh, the highest one there was I think Everton with some 10 players out well Bristol City have got 14 or 15 players out at the moment just to put that in some kind of context and that has been the main reason they've done badly this season and and uh, and Mark Ashton I'm, I'm um, basically recruited all that medical team. Those were guys who came in um, that he knew from elsewhere. And and I want to tackle this point that I've seen online as well, that people have said, oh, he only recruits his mates. Well, from my experience, Mark Ashton is actually one of the most, um, he's got one of the best uh, network of contacts in the game. And I've got a few examples of this. And, and, and this is sort of where it comes about. Um, that at what point are you recruiting somebody you know um, as opposed to a friend? Not all these people are his friends just because they worked with him, but he happened to know them. So, yeah, they're previous acquaintances, previous people that he's worked with. He's brought them in um, all um, to, to make up the medical department. And we've had some massive problems this season. I, and I do think that that might be one area that they refurbish in the coming summer under Nigel Pearson. In terms of Mark Ashton and those other contacts, though, and one little story about transfer that took place last season was that we brought in Philip Benkovic, the centre-back from Leicester City. And there was a lot of talk at the time that he was going to be going to Derby County. And I, th- and I think a lot of people assumed he would be going there. But he actually arrived at Bristol City and it became um, very apparent afterwards, once the transfer had gone through, that it was always the case he was going to come to Bristol City. And that was chiefly because it had been set up by Mark Ashton um, having a, a really good relationship with Brendan Rogers from his time when he was at Watford, uh, the two of them worked together. Then I think it was I think Mark Ashton actually gave Brendan Rogers his first. I think it might be his first managerial job. I'd have to check with that if, if it was at Watford, um, but certainly one of. And yeah, because of that link and their good um, relationship, it meant that we were able to get Philip Benkovic on loan over here for the rest of the season. Fascinating, fascinating. I was going to ask you, how is it the COO's responsibility of players are getting injured? But you've outlined there perfectly that he brought in, you know, medical staff and, you know, overseen this whole thing. Um, Gregor, can we go to some Twitter questions and this will um, get the mood? Um, a lot of them are basically, why are Bristol City fans so pleased to so pleased to see this chat going? Um, let's take uh, sort of parlay Jonathan and um, Richard's question 
together. Um, Richard, um, is the criticism a consequence of us as football fans? I'm not including you because you're a journalist and you talk to these people, but us as football fans, not particularly understanding that a COO or a CEO is not a manager and it's a very different role. And um, yeah, just talk to me about the indifference. Thank you, Jonathan and um, Richard. Talk to me about the indifference of Bristol City fans. Is is this resentment? Is this a, a a bit like when, I don't know, when your girlfriend leaves you and she was never good enough for you anyway and go on, get lost type thing? And can you just talk to me about fans understanding generally, and this is not a slight on Bristol City fans, of course, but fans understanding generally of what that role is and what that person actually does? Yeah, I, th- I think a little bit of all of those. I mean, I've, I've seen, I mean, I've got a sizable um Bristol City following on social media and I've seen all manner of views at the whole spectrum and there are Bristol City fans out there who believe that Mark Ashton has done a, a good job others who are in the middle um, and, and and think he's done some good stuff and some bad stuff we've been contacted by, by people saying that um, but there is a large majority on social media certainly on Twitter on Twitter that yeah basically hold him responsible for Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Whether you want to protect yourself whilst online or just get access to more streaming content, NordVPN has the solution for you and are now in partnership with us here at Blue Monday. NordVPN can be your cyber bodyguard whilst you're browsing online, but it also allows you to access more streaming content from abroad like sporting events, box sets or films. With one click of a button, NordVPN can digitally transport you to the US, Australia or Amsterdam. For the price of an ITFC match programme each month, you can subscribe to NordVPN and have access to these great services. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, head to nordvpn.com slash bluemonday or click the link in the podcast description. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, so get yourself a great deal and support the podcast in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Maybe maybe just the way the club has, has not moved forward over the last few years, but that's a little bit harsh, I think, because they, they have really stabilised it as, as a club. I mean... You guys, I mean, what what do you see? What do you where do you make Bristol City out to be at the moment? Because I always think it's an interesting and difference in perspective from sort of being at close quarters and everything is so magnified. And then you speak to fans who view the club from elsewhere, and they, you maybe don't see every detail, but but then you have a mo- maybe a mo- more overarching view. How do you how do you view Bristol City? Then I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I'm an absolute championship nerd, but. Um... My my perception from the outside is this is a club trending upwards. I remember going there in the late 90s. My sister went to Cardiff 
And Ipswich won one nil. I think Kieran Dyer set up Richard Naylor or something. And it was a bit run down. And, you know, they were between the third tier and the second tier. And I remember they had Adiak and Bay, and he was very good. And then they had to sell him on. And you sort of go there now, and there's this gigantic stand. And God, compared to Portman Road, what they've done with the concourses and everything behind. And, you know, I always go and sit up near you in the um in the top tier of that. And it's huge behind there and everything's very slick and nice looking and there's this sense of a club trending in the right direction and we've always heard about the Bristol catchment area and then just I I genuinely hold the belief that if you don't have parachute money in um in the championship you have to recruit so so well you have to not be afraid to sell and then invest well and you've seen Sheffield United go up, but sell David Brooks the year before. Leeds go up. Chris Wood, Ronaldo Vieira the year before. Norwich, Madison the year before. And I genuinely thought that Bristol City were on that incline until this season. But it's so hard to keep oh, Bobby Reid, Codger, um, Brownhill, etc., etc. And I, th- I think from the outside, um, you saw a club that was... That obviously there's your Huddersfield and your Sheffield United who have managed to go straight through. Maybe Barnsley will do it this season. But I always had Brentford as the as the dons of recruitment, and then and then Bristol City as as the next run down. So um and that's me as a nerdy championship YouTuber. Um I would suspect Ipswich fans would suggest that. Pre-Ashton, and I'm not, I'm not putting this down to Ashton, Ipswich were there and Bristol City were there. And, you know, Ipswich are obviously at the lowest ebb for 60 years. But if I'm if I'm a football manager and I can't get a parachute job in the championship, I'd take the Bristol City job for, for goodness sake. So I'd, I'd have it in that tier, just, just below Brentford probably, as a job really worth having in the championship. Is that anywhere near what you think from the inside? Yeah, well, yeah, it, it is. It tallies with what I think of the club. And, yeah, I have to add in, I'm, I'm not a Bristol City fan, actually. Uh, I'm, yeah, so I maybe look at it in a slightly more detached way than some of the fans would. But just to sort of add one point from their point of view, which which is a fair one, actually, is that, one of the things that Mark Ashton has presided over since he joined the club is yeah, tremendous progress of the club infrastructure. And at the same time, a turnover of staff. There's been an incredible turnover of staff. And I think if you look back at his um, the jobs he's done at other clubs, um, chiefly Watford, Oxford and, and Wickham, then I think that, that there might be something in that as well. And what we've seen is... Um, so many of the support and central staff of the club have um, eventually been moved on, and I hate to use the word upgraded, but but sort of more specialists come in. And one example of that is is that we had um, a press officer who's really well respected over this way. He was Bristol City through and through. He was there at the club for 17 years, and then he was made redundant. And um, a month or two later, they brought in. Uh, the the head of media who'd looked after the British and Irish Lions. So you, you can see it's, it's that kind of recruitment. That, 
yes yeah absolutely i guess to yeah that, you, you're right it, it is ruthless to an extent and maybe some people will, will say well okay i can understand it because it's the club pushing forward and wanting to do things better but at the same time you you, you can argue that maybe the club was losing a little bit of its soul especially if it didn't do it the right way and and maybe this is another point is that is it the thing with mark ashton is a question i have is whether he's already always communicated communicated the right way with the fans and i think to be fair to him if you asked him himself and we we did we had a good interview with him in in january um and and he basically nothing was off limits you could ask him anything he was very honest and he used the words um, battered he, he recognized that he was battered by the fans a lot of the time himself and and that maybe there was a, a slight um, admission that maybe he could have he could have communicated a little bit better at, at certain times some of the fans this way believe that you only see him at the good times and when it's the bad times you don't see him around at all um, and I think from having spoken to him I, I think from his point of view that he doesn't want to be out there talking necessarily all the time if there's nothing to talk about I think it's more of a case he He'll he'll pop up at the end of the season and at the, maybe the halfway point, but you might not hear uh, hear from him every week. And maybe that's something that, that that he'll have to improve on when he when he goes over to Portman Road. Brilliant. Um, thank you everybody for the questions. I think we've got the mood. Just one more from me, Gregor, because I don't want to keep you too long. So here's Mark Ashton. This is what he's walking into. Essentially, a club that's just gone thirteen years under Marcus Evans and. Some would argue that Marcus Evans, after FFP tightened and parachutes got a bit bigger and Mick McCarthy made the playoffs, maybe lost a little bit of interest in propping up too much um, in terms of the losses there. So Mark Ashton's walking into this that's just been taken over. I'm not going to pretend I know how much money the hedge fund have got, um, but obviously that needs to be worked within FFP and um, salary caps compared to turnover as they've now gone back to um what you do have is um a slightly tired looking stadium and a slightly disconnected fan base what what do you think um mark ashton will will do what's going to be his um you know his sort of how's he going to breeze through this club and um give us some give us some optimism here <laughs> Well, yeah, certainly on the club side. I know on the commercial side, he's, he's very, very highly rated. He identified a lot of um, revenue streams for the club to make money. And um, certainly, certainly the business side of things, Bristol City have done pretty well over the last few years. I mean, just to tie it back to the Robins for a second again, they they made a profit in their annual annual accounts actually last season for the very first time since Steve Lansdowne has been in charge, which is some 20 22 years, 25, no, 25 years, I think it is now. Wow. So, yeah, that that was a big pick in the box for him, although it was chiefly built on selling players. Um, but, but Gregor, no one makes a profit in the championship. No, absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely. ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. So that's not sustainable over this way. Um, just coming back to your question, though, I, I, I would expect him to certainly look into how they can... Um, refurbish Portman Road I, I mean you, you'll know much better than me I've been over to Portman Road the last few times obviously Bristol City have played over there and I love the pictures you've got on the, the walls over there on the on the um Bristol City always won as well the last few games didn't they <laughs> yeah yeah 
Last time I came over, um, I had a strange situation where I couldn't understand Paul Lambert in the, uh, <laughs> in the press conference, and I asked him a question, and he replied to me, and I, I couldn't work out what he was saying with his with his strong Scottish accent. <laughs> he had to he had to say it about four times in a row, um, but. But yeah, no, I, I certainly expect him to look to maybe revamp the stadium if if if, if that can be done. Um, re, look at new revenue streams. What are your training facilities like? Can can they be improved at all? Um, some some of the good work he's done over this way has included also the expansion of the the Robbins Foundation and all the community work that goes on locally. Also the the building up of the women's team. I, I think he is the um, also, the, I think he might be the chairman of the of Bristol City Women as well as on the men's side. He's also um, had this EFL board role um, while he's been at Bristol City. And it's, it's tough to find anything um, directly tangible of benefit to the club from that role. But it's always been something that the owners um, have remarked on um, thanking uh, Mark Ashton on, for his work and saying that basically he, he represented the, very, um, the club very well. Um, at the EFL, maybe just planting the flag and, and um, making them a bit more um, well known. Certainly building relationships and, and contacts is a big thing with him. I mean, if you uh, you guys might not have seen, but, but Lee Johnson did an interview with the coach's voice recently and he was directly asked about his time at Bristol City and, and Mark Ashton. And he said very clearly in that that he rates Mark Ashton as one of the, the best CEOs around that he had a very good relationship with him, and uh, and I think that's indicative. I because I think it would be very easy for him to either dodge that question or or or, or let slip if he wasn't happy. But it definitely wasn't the case. And we've done whenever I've done any writing for those pieces that you saw this morning, Ben, and for other pieces that we've done, we've researched into Mark. We we spoke to we spoke to one. Uh, owner of one of the clubs in your division at the moment and discussed with him about how um, a transfer deal was done with Mark Ashton and what Mark Ashton was like um, uh, when you're dealing with him from that point of view. And he was very, very complimentary, said he was first class to deal with, very straight and everything. So, yeah, every time we've spoken to somebody in the game, it's always Mo been... Isa. Uh, so, so, Mo Isa. <laughs> I'm just speculating. <laughs> <laughs> Every time we've spoken to someone in the game, um, the, the references have come back in, in a really glowing fashion. And, yeah, I just wonder if there's a bit of a disconnect between what the fans see and what the corporate people see. And, and, and that's maybe why the fans don't quite appreciate the job he's done at Bristol City. And, and likewise, that would be my worry for you guys, that you might not see the best of him on the pitch, or the best of his work on the pitch. But maybe in the longer term, um, you might do. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Gregor, can you give a quick plug, A, to your Twitter? Because you're my go-to follow for Bristol City stuff. I have the notifications turned on. And can you just plug the... Because there's sort of three pieces now that you've you've got up on Mark Ashton that I think Ipswich fans would be pleased to read and where we can find you. You're still on the podcast as well. Yeah, I do a podcast with Michelle Owen, but... I mean, yes, yeah, Bristol City through and through. I wouldn't recommend it because I doubt any of you guys will. will oh, um, yeah, I tune, I tune in with my championship nerd head on for for that one, but. Um, but yeah, in, in terms of the pieces, the, the only thing I would say is I'd recommend the one from first thing this morning. It was 
hour seven o'clock and it was about Mark Ashton being a wanted man but having um, questions to answer at Bristol City and there's one anecdote in there I just want to mention that I spoke to one of the uh, a former uh, Bristol City board member to ask him about the relationship with Mark Ashton to get a first-hand account of what he's like to deal with and he told me this brilliant anecdote of when Mark Ashton was at West Brom he'd been so kind to the Bristol City um, boardroom members and they shared the architect plans from West Brom where they just built a new east stand and they, they they shared everything from that and then Bristol City looked at those plans and actually used them themselves when they rebuilt their own east and west stands I can see the similarity, actually, with all the space around the back. So most of the Wave fans won't have been in um, both of those stands, but I have. So I can, as soon as you say that, I can see that, actually. Well, yeah, there you go. And, uh, and apparently his, his work then and, or, or the advice that he gave was, was fundamental in the planning permission that was, that was a, a attained by the club. Um, to make all that possible. So it's that kind of, unfortunately, boring stuff in a way, but, <laughs> but, but, the, but the stuff that needs to go on behind behind the scenes that, that I suspect you'll be very good at, less so maybe um, what happens with recruitment. But, but let's see what happens there. And all of those pieces, what's the, um, what's the website where people can find Bristol Post? Uh, it is, it is www.bristolpost.co.uk. And on Twitter, you are at G Mac G at G Mac G G E E M A C G E E. Go and give Gregor a follow. Um, spot on Bristol City um, information there, and um, you might be interested in keeping in touch, particularly uh, with this. It's not gardening leave now, but this strange crossover that Mark Ashton's going to be having. Gregor, thank you so much for coming on. I'd recommend wholeheartedly go and follow him on Twitter and go and read particularly that piece that will be timed at 7am this morning for some great background. Um, Gregor, thanks so much. No problem at all. Thanks very much for having me. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.